Let's turn back to the book of Revelation. While you're turning there, I just remind you of something Tony reminded me of, that the, uh, there's a young adult being, camp being planned for the 26th of the 7th to the 25th. That doesn't sound right. To the 25th to the 26th, that sounds better. <laughs> and we'll go the right way. And so that's being planned at Crystal Creek for this July. <clears throat> it has been talked about for a few weeks and somebody has volunteered to do that. So, Young adults, if you're going to take a, a couple of days off, I think it's Thursday night, Friday and the Saturday morning down there. <clears throat> the last time we were in Revelation a few weeks ago, every second week or third, <laughs> we looked at Satan's restraint. And he laid hold on the old dragon, the old, the, the dragon, the old serpent, and the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. It reads there, cast him into the bottomless pit. Praise God for his restraint at that period, but praise God, better after he's released for a little, he's then taken and permanently put into hell. And as the scriptures tell us, that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels wasn't created for mankind. God didn't intend any of us to go there, but we choose to reject him and disobey the gospel. We go there. But uh, God didn't create it for us, but for the devil, the rebel, and his angels that followed him in rebellion. This morning, we think of the Savior's reign, gone from Satan's restraint to Satan's reign, Savior's reign, sorry. Uh, we might call this heaven on earth. Right now, it's not looking like that as we look around the world. Problematic things happening all around the world. Leaders running to and fro, trying to get peace. We had the suave French, French president here this week and um, buttering up Mrs. Lucy Turnbull saying she is delicious and <laughs> words that he used. You'd have to be a Frenchman to say that. <laughs> but uh, that's the way it is in the world, but running around trying to get deals done. We don't know half of what's being said, uh, less than that, <laughs> amongst these leaders. But the Saviour's reign, we know what he has said. Now, <clears throat> if I quoted, and we could all do it together, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And if I asked you what that meant, I think we could all explain it. We wouldn't try to change what it means for God so loved yeah, the world. He did. That he gave, he sent Jesus to be the saviour of the world. Whoever believes goes to heaven. We come to Revelation 20 and we read it, but we want to change it. Why? Why do theologians do that? It's not right to do that. We take it literally as it's given. And he laid hold on the dragon, the old serpent, and bound him a thousand years. That's easy to understand. Cast him into the bottomless pit. That he should deceive the nations, so there's going to be nations on the earth when this happens, after he's bound for that thousand years. And after that thousand years, he'll be loose for a little season. 
That's just like read John 3.16, understand it as it's written literally. Understand this as it's written. And I saw the thrones and them that sat on them. Judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. That's back in early in Revelation. And this hasn't happened. It's yet a future event. Uh, had not worshipped the beast. The beast hasn't been. He's still to come. Neither his image, neither had received the mark. We haven't got that. A lot of people are marking their bodies all over these days, but not the mark that we're talking about here. In their hands or foreheads, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. These are the ones that have been martyred for Jesus, and they lived and reigned for a thousand years. So if they've been martyred and they're now living and reigning in this verse, that means they've been resurrected. They've got new bodies. And so, I mean, literally written, literally understood, and it happens for a thousand years. The rest of the dead live not. That is, other people who had died didn't live until the thousand years were finished. So some are raised and others are not raised. Some are still in the grave, in, in the place of departed spirits, we could say. And this is the first resurrection, that is the ones that participate in the first resurrection and reign with Christ a thousand years. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death, which is spoken about later in the chapter, chapter 20, hath no power. They shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. I mean, I, as I said before, if we had a 10-year-old come and read this to them and say, from junior church over there, and say, what do you think this means? I think they could discern that. And when the thousand years were expired, in verse 7, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. So, simply put, understood literally, practically, just like other scriptures that we do that relate to our eternal salvation, and we understand this to be the same, this is an event that hasn't happened, is yet to happen, and the Lord is going to reign for a thousand years. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing as we look. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the word of God that has been given for us to understand, to, to take to our lives and, and rejoice in. Lord, the, the future is wonderful for those that believe on you. The future is terrible for those that reject the message. And I pray today that all here would believe the Lord Jesus would believe that he died for their sins, paid the price for their eternal salvation and be saved, that they might be part of this first resurrection and rule and reign with Christ on this earth for 1,000 years and see the blessing and see the power displayed of a right government where Jesus is the head, the supreme king, our Lord, we look forward to that time. The world, the earth itself groans for that time in Romans 8. Bless as we consider these thoughts of the Saviour's reign, the final period before eternity. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> this chapter, though it be simply read and could be simply read and understood, has caused great controversies. The controversy swirls around the use of the word a thousand, a thousand years, used six times as you read through it with us. The controversy concerns this thousand year period called the millennium, the three dominant views that people hold. There's post-millennialism, 
post-millennialism. I got it right. <laughs> and this view says that the world will get better and better. And when it's re reached a proper, a proper stage of perfection, Jesus will return and establish his kingdom on earth. This was a very popular view before the Second World War, even before the First World War. It teaches that the church will make the place such a good, the world such a good place that the Lord will come and just won't have to do anything and just sit on the throne in Jerusalem. <laughs> That's called post-millennialism. But since the world wars have happened, you see, prior to that, the Industrial Revolution, all the things that man had developed, things were going gung-ho <laughs> in the world. But not so since then. And there's wars and rumours of wars, as Jesus promised. <laughs> In 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, it tells us in the latter days, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. In another portion, 2 Timothy 3, 1, know this also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. You see, the scripture itself tells us that it's going to get worse, not better. Postmillennialism has dropped off, but it is picking up, it is resurging again. Uh, I don't know, as you look around, you think if a, as a Christian that the, place is, the world is getting a better place. To me, it's not. To me, sin is running rampant. Satan is not on a chain. He's running loose. Then there's the second thought about, about this thousand years is post-millennialism. There's amillennialism. And there are several variations of this view. The primary version says there is no literal millennial kingdom the kingdom of God is spiritual in nature and we are really in the kingdom age right now I don't see a king anywhere <laughs> I don't see it happening where he rules with a rod of iron do you as the psalmist even said many who hold this view believe Satan is bound right now and as we've already dealt with that two weeks ago the amillennial view spiritualizes these verses or allegorizes them, makes them mean something they don't literally mean. And this view is not scriptural. This view, well, there's also a view that goes along with this, and it's a, la a later one that's come recently, preterism, which believes the tribulation has already occurred and that Jesus has already returned. Do you see him? I don't. I don't. He's not around. He's working through the church still. The preterists believe that Jesus returned in 70 AD and established his kingdom back then. The thing is, there's a thousand years come and gone and almost another thousand years come and gone too. And another thing, if you believe that, someone in the church was talking to an individual that believed this preterist, preterist view that uh, when did John write the book of Revelation? 1995 AD. They say Christ returned in 70. So really he didn't write prophetically, he wrote historically. He is writing history, not prophecy. And that's just not right. It just doesn't fit with the scripture. And <clears throat> to warn people that believe that these things are so the amillennial view and the preterist view and the replacement theology view is true, 
We need to go back and look at who started this stuff. Where did it come from? And it's easy to go back, just remember origin, the origin of this, because origin is the guy. And he was in Alexandra of Egypt. And he gave some very wrong views back then and started interpreting the scripture incorrectly. And let me just tell you a few. I thought I had it all sorted out here, and I don't. <laughs> I got a heap of different ones. I know, I know he's here. I read about him this morning. Anyway, can't find it. But he is one that believed in purgatory. That is, you can go to hell, pay for your sins, and get out of hell. He didn't believe in Christ's deity. And if that's the case, First John applies to him. If they do not say that Jesus is the eternal Son of God, they can't be saved. So when you look at all the false doctrines that he promoted and how he spiritualized and allegorized scripture in the second century of the church. How can we go back and say his words be true and I'm going to follow his methods? Augustine also followed in his footsteps and he came a little later. He polluted the church with many, well, the church in quotes, in, with many false doctrines. He helped lay the foundation that formed the Catholic Church. And Rome has honoured Augustine as one of the doctors of the church and they've kept his writings going for a long time and even today because he teaches what they want. Are we going to rely and trust in these men that corrupted the scriptures, used the wrong method of interpretation to come to conclusions that are not right? They're the basis of mainline churches that are not teaching the truth today. We need to be warned. We need to be wise. We need to look into this back then. He was a persecutor and one of the fathers of the Roman Inquisition, Augustine. He instigated persecutions against the believing Donatists who were striving to maintain biblical godly churches. Augustine was one of the fathers of Amil, teaching allegorizing Bible prophecy and teaching the Catholic Church is the new Israel and is the kingdom of God. And you can begin to think of the way they thought and why they thought or why he thought what he thought. Because Constantine, and we mentioned this before, conquered in the sign of the cross around 320 AD. And then he said, no more persecution of Christians. Let's put the bishops in control in government, over the government. <laughs> and doing this, these theologians started looking at this the theology and saying, well, this is the kingdom come. This is the Lord already returned. And you can understand why they started thinking that, because they started interpreting prophecy from the current events. And we have to be very careful not to do that. <laughs> Prophecy is to be interpreted literally, practically, in the right method and with the right means. 
And if we don't, we come to wrong conclusions. Augustine taught other things. He taught that infants could, should be baptised and that baptism took away their sins. He called all who rejected infant baptism infidels and cursed. He taught Mary did not commit sin and promoted her veneration. He believed Mary played a vital role in salvation. He, he promoted also the myth of purgatory. He accepted the doctrine of celibacy for priests. And look at where it's got them today. He exalted the authority of the church over the Bible. That's wrong. He believed that true interpretation of scripture is derived from declaration of church councils. And so if, you, if there's something that's wrong, we'll have a council and we'll put down the enemy. And that's more authoritative than scripture. He interpreted the early chapters of Genesis figuratively. And look where that sort of thought has got us even today with evolution. He taught the heresy of apostolic succession. And on and on we could go about the things that he taught and the things that he did. But there were those faithful ones that didn't teach these things in the early church and up to, the, up to Augustine's time. And we need to take note of some of these. Barnabas was one of them. This is before 325 AD. Barnabas, a distinguished teacher. Papyrus, a disciple of John. A disciple of John who wrote Revelation. <laughs> need to listen to these people and what they said. Justin Martyr, Arrhenus, Polycarp, a disciple of John too. Tertullian, Methodosus, Lactinus. And we have historical records of what they wrote that have been kept from that time. And they taught that this was a thousand year reign of Christ literally on the earth after a tribulation. And you see, if that is, these people taught this up to the time of Constantine and they were persecuted for it. After that, the predominant view became an a-mill view or that it has already happened, it's fulfilled, it's a preterist view. The third view, there's post-mill, a-mill, and there's pre-mill. And a lot more could be said on the history of the teaching of pre-mill and a-mill view way back early in the church. But the pre-mill, this view holds that humanity will continue to de degenerate as the scriptures have said. The world will go through a literal tribulation. Jesus will return and defeat the Antichrist, establish a literal kingdom on earth and reign for a thousand years as we read it in Revelation 20 this morning. This is the view that takes these verses literally. And in my opinion, and I believe scripturally, it can be absolutely set right that this is the right view. They ruled and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Now, as Christians, when we get raptured and taken to heaven, we'll have new bodies, immortal bodies. We'll come back along with the tribulation saints that are mentioned in Revelation 20 and rule and reign with Christ for that period of time. Who are we ruling and reigning over? If everybody has an immortal body at that time, and there's no sort of, as it were, millennium, who are we ruling and reigning over if there is no earth people um, with mortal bodies, not immortal bodies? The millennium will allow, this thousand years, will allow the Lord to accomplish some much-needed goals. 
And we probably will only get through these six points this morning if you've got a bulletin there listed there. And the other ones are things that will happen during that time. So if you could follow through and looking at those. Some goals that will be accomplished during this thousand year reign of Christ to fulfill Old Testament promises of the kingdom to Israel. Let's turn to the book of Jeremiah chapter 31. I know Andrew in Israel, he's not listening right now, he's asleep, but uh, he loves to take the Jews to this portion of scripture and they love to have it read too, because this is quite exciting for them. I don't know if you're listening to the news behind the news, but since that attack with the gas in Syria, where Israel went in and bombed, they, have, they haven't stopped bombing. We, th- we don't hear that on the news much, but the news behind the news, they haven't ceased. And it's constant over there. And there is real concern that a war will develop between Iran and Israel now. And it'll be worse than any of the ones they've had up to, da- up to date. That's what the new, that's secular people saying this. But those who are in Israel who know their Old Testament know they're not going to be annihilated. They're not going to be driven into the sea. Here to fulfill Old Testament promises, and here's a great promise to Israel, chapter 31, verse 31 of the book of Jeremiah. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. You see, that's 10 and two tribes, 12. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in then in the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. That's coming out of Egypt, logic, scriptural, history. With my covenant, that was a Mosaic covenant. They broke it, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts, write it in their hearts, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. Israel has never been in that position. They've mainly been in rebellion. (laughs) The highest part of Israel's history was King David and Solomon's time. And this wasn't so. The law in their hearts, they desired to do it and willingly did it. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbour, every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me. They, They don't know the Lord. They know about God but they don't know the Lord in their hearts. From the least of them to the greatest of them, saith the Lord, and I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. That's not where Israel has ever been. It's a promise for the future. And so to fulfill the Old Testament promises of the kingdom and Israel at the head of that kingdom, the millennium must happen to fulfill these things. Thus saith the Lord who giveth the sun, in verse 35, for a light by day and ordinances of moon and the stars for a light by night, who divideth the sea when its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances, that is, of the sun and the moon and the stars, depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. It's not going to happen, is it? We know that those ordinances, the sun, moon and stars, are going to keep going and Israel is going to exist. And so they have a great promise with all the threats around them. 
when I first was asked by Andrew to go to Israel and visit, because he said, you're the pastor and I'm the missionary, you've got to come. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't you want to go to Israel? What, what's the, what would be your thought? Danger. Danger. <laughs> Danger, the threat. On every side, there's the threat. And not only without, but within the West Bank and Gaza that we hear about all the time. And that's why I rung Andrew the other day. Where are you? <laughs> you know, what's happening over there? Can you see smoke? Because <laughs> where the smoke, there's fire. But, you know, it's so close. The threat is there. But they have, religious Jews have a confidence that they are going to and will continue to exist because of the Bible, their Bible, the Old Testament, and because of this new covenant. They can say the stars will have to cease before we stop being a nation. Thus saith the Lord in verse 37, If heaven can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off the seed of Israel. And it's not the church, it's Israel, the nation, Judah, and the Samaria, the 12 tribes, the seed of Israel for all they that have done, they have done, saith the Lord. So there's the fulfillment of these promises. If we go to the New Testament, it speaks also of these things. Romans chapter 11 and verse 26. And it's a key passage in that saying these things will, will happen to a literal nation in a literal country called Israel there. God is going to keep his promises. If he, if he doesn't keep them to Israel, he can also renege on them to the church. And he's not going to do that. He's a promise-keeping God. In the book of Romans, chapter 11, verses 26 and 29. <clears throat> there we read, And so all Israel, and it's not talking about the church, it's talking about Israel, the nation, shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, that's the Lord Jesus. He shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob, from Israel. For this is my covenant unto them, and he's referring to the covenants, Abrahamic, Palestinian, and Davidic covenants, unconditional that he gave, that is, even if they broke their, they didn't keep the promise, they didn't keep their side of the bargain, that is Israel, God would keep his side, unconditional covenants. This is my covenant to them when I shall take away their sins. That's what we just read in Isaiah, I mean Jeremiah 31. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. You see, it can't be talking to the church because he's talking about the church in the context here. They are enemies for the gospels. Now, concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. God still loves them, even though they are, are like they are and have the heart they have. For Now concerning, yes, well, in verse 29, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance, or they're irrevocable. God is not going to change his mind. He's going to keep his promise to this people of Israel. Over in Acts chapter 15 and verse 14, Simeon. Simon Peter hath declared in verse 14 
how God did first visit the Gentiles and take out of them a people for his name. And that's what he's doing. We are a people for his name. We are saved by the blood of Christ. We are called the bride of Christ. We're his children adopted into the family. A people for his name. And to this agree all the words of the prophets as it is written. After this, after he has taken a people for his name, after he has developed the church and brought it to maturity to be a holy and spotless bride of Christ, I will return and build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and I will build again its ruins and will set it up. And folks, it's already happening, as it were, physically, but spiritually it hasn't. They've got the skeleton, they've got the flesh, but they haven't got the breath, according to Ezekiel 37. And God is going to bring it again. This is a promise of their kingdom being re-established and the Lord over it. Matthew 19, we won't turn there for the time's sake, but 12 apostles are going to judge 12 tribes of Israel. Have the 12 apostles come back to life and judge the 12 tribes of Israel yet? No, it hasn't happened. It's a promise yet to be fulfilled. The second point there, as we look, is to put Jesus in all his glory on public display. And he'll receive honour and glory and praise and blessing from those that are his subjects. And that's in Revelation 5, 11 to 12. Thirdly, to answer the prayer that has been prayed in so many churches, even today, has been prayed at funerals and weddings and other places and almost repeated like a mantra in most churches. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven? Is there perfect harmony throughout all the world? No, it hasn't happened. The answer to that prayer will be a fulfillment and a goal of the millennium, of the thousand-year reign of Christ. It will happen. And when people or a a, a padre or whatever you call those preachers and fellas with robes. When they pray this prayer, I would like to stop. Stop. Did you hear what you just said? (laughs) Do you get what it means? Do you understand this? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that that will be in the kingdom age. That will be when Jesus reigns. Fourthly, to fulfill the promise that saints will reign. And it's not only spoken of in Revelation, but it's also in the epistles. Revelation 5.10 reads, And has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Right now we're not reigning. We're subjects. We are citizens on our way to heaven, citizens in the family of God. But in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12, we read this, But if we suffer we shall also reign with him. If you're going to reign, you're over something or somebody. Isn't that true? (laughs) You can't just be reigning over nothingness. And there it tells us we shall reign and we will be reigning in the millennium over those people that have still got earthly mortal bodies. We call them earthlings (laughs) at that time. I just have to be careful not to use the terminology of the Star Wars and stuff. (laughs) But... I don't listen to that 
Don't watch it. Freakish. But anyway, you can go there. It's not my not my forte. But we will reign with him with immortal bodies and is fulfill, fulfillment of Psalm chapter 2. <laughs> Psalm chapter 2. Where he will reign with a rod of iron through, he, through us who are redeemed and have an immortal body. And Romans chapter 8. Fifthly, another goal of the millennium to bring about the complete redemption of nature. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 19. <clears throat> And we've read it before, but it doesn't harm to read it again. Romans 8, verse 19. He said, Paul said, I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. We are the sons of God, our manifestation, glorified bodies. All creation waits for that time. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willing, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. The creature is waiting for this, as it were, in hope. Because the creature itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And we know that the whole creation groans and travails in, in pain together until now. And not only they, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, Christians... Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, that is, the redemption of our body. You know, it's usually not until we get old that we start groaning like that. And <clears throat> as I asked for prayer for Uncle Selwyn this morning, I visited with him yesterday, and that's his desire just a new body. <laughs> this is painful, it's not nice. There's Lorna, there's Dave Bennett, that have all said to me, you know, I want to be with the Lord. And, and we, we anticipate that, we wait for that, and creation waits with us for that. And the millennium will fulfill these promises that are giving. Even creation will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. The curse that has been brought upon it because of our sin, that will be reversed. What a day it'll be. And all the other ones in the list that you have in your bulletin will follow suit and in order. Sixthly and lastly, the goal of the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ, to give men one final test under the sovereign rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here will be a perfect environment. The only thing that will be out of order will still be the heart of men that are born at that time. They still have to decide a free will choice to follow the Lord. But with perfect order, perfect creation, no weeds, no thistles, no mozzies. Well, mozzies will have a different function if they're still alive. <laughs> You'd be able to pick blackberries without getting scratched all over and uh, all the other sort of thing. What a day it will be when he brings in his new world order, <laughs> his millennium, his kingdom. You see... The Lord intended this to be so from creation. Man messed it up big time with Adam and Eve. That in that day it will be fulfilled. And the Lord will dwell among his people. The Lord will reign from Jerusalem. There will be a perfect dictatorship. 
but under private ownership because every man shall sit under his own fig tree, it says in scripture. And only God knows how to make that one work. <laughs> and so the world looks forward to heaven on earth in the future. The, the world groans for it. Creation groans for it. People groan for it. We look forward to it where we rule and reign with Christ who are saved. And it must happen, otherwise God is not God. <laughs> His promises are not true if he can't do it. He has to reverse what Satan has messed and what man has messed up for the 6,000 years. And it will be reversed. We are going to be a part of it, whether you believe it or not. <laughs> You'll be a part of it if you're a believer. I just pray that you take it literally, take it as it's written, accept it, let our thinking be submitted to the word of God and not try to overlord the word of God with our thinking. Dangerous precedent if you do that. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful promises of your word for this world and the people of it. Lord, I pray that in the meantime that we might be able to talk to people and let them see why things are going where they're going, who the Lord Jesus Christ is, what his plan is for the future, the great blessings he only wishes well, he doesn't want anyone to perish, and that they might turn and trust in the Lord Jesus to be their saviour before it's for eternity, eternally too late. Lord, bless your people as we go our way rejoicing in the truth of your word, in the promises of it. Lord, we are going to be taken before all this transpires to have an immortal body, and so we shall ever be with the Lord. Go with us as we part with your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.